today's reading can be found on page 1,231 of your church Bibles. It's towards the back of the New Testament, just before Revelation, and is taken from the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal life. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Luella. Not many times we read a, a whole book in church, but, um, but good to do. Uh, this is part of our ongoing series looking at uh, sort of short letters 
uh, in the New Testament. Last week we had uh, Simon come and we were uh, looking at Philemon. Uh, Today we're looking at Jude uh, and we're spending two weeks looking at Jude. This week uh, and next week and then the next two Sundays afterwards we've got two and three John uh, to come. Um, Here's a a question for you uh, to start. Uh, Do you know uh, how many characters have been in EastEnders? It's a question you think about probably late at night. Um, Now normally of course the preacher will, 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 uh, will tell you but actually I don't know. It's a genuine question. Um, the reason I don't know is I did look on Wikipedia, but there were a lot, and I thought it's probably not the best use of my time to count them, so, uh, so I didn't. But, but the thing that, that I noticed uh, is that actually every single one has a different name. They're all different. And I guess that makes sense, doesn't it, in a soap opera, because it, it means you don't have a situation where it, in the series they go, oh, did, did you hear what Johnny was saying about Janice? You mean what, Johnny with the long hair? No, not Johnny with the long hair. Johnny who works at the garage. About Jan- Janice with the dog. Not Janice with the dog. Janice with the glasses. I mean, that the whole show would be them describing who they're talking about, which is why they need to have different names. Now, here's the question you're next thinking. What possible relevance has that got to Jude? <laughs> well, when we look at the Bible, uh, we don't have that sort of soap opera-esque uh, sort of everyone with a different name. Uh, actually, the names appear a few times. So Jude is, in fact, a shortened version of Judas. Ben, Benjamin, Jude, Judas. Uh, and then we also see, don't we, James. So, so we know at least three Judases. Uh, we know at least two Jameses. So who is Jude? Who is this person? Well, there's only one uh, Judas brother of James that we know of, that we see in Mark uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, and the James that it's speaking of here is not James and John. It's James, uh, the one who wrote the book of James, the epistle. Uh, the one who was the, the church leader in Jerusalem. The one who was the half-brother of Jesus. So actually, Jude is a brother of Jesus, a half-brother of Jesus. First one, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. He's a half-brother of Jesus, but yet he doesn't describe himself that way. Uh, Yet he he describes himself as a a, a servant of Jesus Christ. It's because he realises that actually uh, the more important description for himself is not as a, a biological half-brother, but as a spiritual relative of Jesus, as a, a servant of Jesus. Uh, and he's writing at uh, second part of verse 1, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Just as a moment, just, just pause on that verse a minute. What a a wonderful, wonderful way to describe Christians. Loved by God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ. If you are Christian this morning, that is you today. Loved by God the Father, kept for Jesus. But but who are these people? Well, we don't quite know exactly. Um, They're probably uh, Messianic Jews. Uh, Messianic because they're they're Christians, those who are loved by the Father, kept for Jesus, and Jews because, uh, as you may have picked up as uh, Luella read the letter for us, it's just jam-packed 
full of Old Testament references. And it's also full of references from other Jewish writings, uh, from books like One Enoch or the Testament of Moses, uh, books that we uh, no longer uh, have. But it's a book jam-packed to help ground these Christians. But what's he going to say? Well, let's pray and then dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter. Uh, And we pray that as we look at it today and next week, that you may help us to unearth some of its riches and to see you and know you and want to live for you more and more. Amen. Jude loves to tell people uh, about his brother, about Jesus. Uh, He says that, doesn't he, in verse 3. I was very eager to write to you about the salvation uh, we share. He, he loved to be, to be passing on the message of Jesus to others. But yet, as is sometimes the case for those in leadership, you have to say hard things. Uh, that's what he, he wanted to say, but yet he needed to say something else. Uh, verse 3 again. Uh, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. To contend. Uh, Contend for the faith. That's the the big idea of the whole letter. Contend for the faith. Uh, And this this idea of contending is about striving, agonising, just being deliberate and trying, sort of running ahead and walking up the, the sandy hill of just agonizingly trying to contend for the faith. And there are sort of two parts to it. Uh, there's kind of what we might say the academic, the, the, the truths of the gospel, the things we say in the creed. I believe this. It's to contend for those. Uh, but it's also uh, the, the practical outworking. To say, yes, yes, these are true. I believe these things and there is a way to live. Uh, because of this, this is also true. It's contending both uh, intellectually and uh, practically. And why? Why? Well, it's because of verse 4. Verse 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago that have secretly slipped in among you, there are ungodly people who pervert the grace of, of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord. Or in shorthand, the reason they have to contend is that some people have come into the church who will want to drive you and the church away from the true faith. There are some people who've come to the church who want to drive you and the church away from true faith. Paul says that these, uh, these people have have sort of secretly slipped in. He doesn't mean they found kind of the, the back door that no one knows about and they kind of let themselves in the key under the mat. No, they've just, they've come into the church body. They've just come as everyone else uh, into the church. And what their message is, is they're saying, look, you're a Christian, you can do what you like. It doesn't matter that there is no application part of the truths. 
Uh, there is no uh, way you have to live. Uh, in essence, you might be saying, look, there is no one way to be a Christian. Now, when we put it like that, I mean, there, are, there is some truth to that, isn't there? There's no one way to be a Christian because actually we're, we're all different. Uh, we have different uh, things that we say, different things that we do, uh, different families, different backgrounds, uh, different ways that, that we might live the faith out. Uh, it is true that there isn't just one way to be a Christian, but, but on the other hand, it is also true to say, but there is a, a commonality. Uh, there are ways in which we live this faith out that are, are true for all. Uh, and particularly what Jude has in mind here is what you picked up, that, that, that God, it said, they convert the grace of God into a license for immorality. Uh, the particular focus of the, those coming in is that it's around sexual ethics. Uh, and what, what Jude's going to do in verses 5 to 19, which is what we're looking at this morning, we'll do 20 to 25 uh, next week, he's just going to pack this, this dense, dense bit of the letter. He, he's loading it with, with Old Testament references and those references to the, the early Jewish writings. And he's going to tell them, look, look, he's going to sort of lift the lid saying, look what they're like. But he's also going to say, but God cares. Now, actually, these people are saying it doesn't matter. And he's going to say, well, actually, it does. It does. So, verses 5 to 7, he, he gives three examples. He says, look, remember those taken from Egypt. Those who, who God brought through the Red Sea. But they didn't believe. That they were saying it didn't matter. And because of their unbelief, they faced God's judgment and died in the wilderness. God does care. And then verse 6, he says, talks about angels. Angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. Here he's referring to Genesis 6. And also writings from one Enoch. Talking about how angels who left their, their home in heaven and wanted to, to come among the earth and to have um, sexual relations with people. They didn't act correctly, and so they faced great judgment. Those he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. God does care. Uh, or verse 7, it, it's a reverse um, in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, where men wanted to have sex with angels. Uh, and he says, look, remember that. And remember what happened to Solomon and Gomorrah. God does care. God does care. And then he just keeps on flowing through uh, verse 8 to 10. He says, look, in the same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heat abuse on celestial beings. He's saying, look, in the same way, these people are saying, it's, it's basically up to me. It's my way. It's what I think is right. It's based on my dreams, my desires. It's about me putting myself in God's seat and saying, this is right, this is wrong. Or really, actually, this is right and do what you want. And then we get this sort of... To, to, 
to speak into that, he gives this slightly strange example, to our ears at least, of the Archangel Michael. Now, the Archangel Michael is the only Archangel in the Bible. Uh, there are no other Archangels, it's just him. Uh, and we don't exactly know what he is, but he's, he's clearly a kind of a, a, a chief angel. Uh, and he's mentioned uh, two other times as well in the scriptures. And here, uh, Judah's saying, look, uh, there's this funny account which is found in the Testament of Moses, uh, where, where uh, Satan and the Archangel Michael are having a, uh, an argument, a discussion uh, over the body of Moses. Uh, and it's basically that, that the devil is sort of accusing Moses of all sorts of different things. And you'd think at that point that, that Archangel Michael, who, who's this, this great archangel, would say, look, you're in the wrong. Stop it. But actually, Jude's saying, look what he said. Even in that moment, he said, end of verse 9, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Even in that moment, uh, he's saying the archangel Michael is refusing to take upon himself that sort of arbiter of what is right and wrong. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. He, he, he defers rightly to the Lord. The Lord does care. God does care how we act. And Jude is laying upon layer upon layer upon layer of why that's the case. And then he comes to verse 11. He says, woe to them. Woe to them. Uh, woe to them because they've, they've taken the way of Cain. That story from uh, Genesis 4. Uh, Cain murdering Abel. Uh, and then Cain leading a life of, of violence after that. They're saying, look, they've taken the way of violence. Uh, they've taken the way of, of their own desire and leading down a path. Woe to them. Uh, woe to them that they've taken the path uh, of Balaam. And that story from Numbers 22 to 25 uh, where Balaam is given money to prophesy against Israel. And he says, woe to them, they become those who put profit ahead of anything, who care about themselves. Woe to them. Uh, woe to them, he says, uh, about the, the people of Korah, or Korah and his rebellion, number 16, uh, who came up and spoke against the leadership of Moses and Aaron, and then faced God's judgment. Woe to them. He's saying, these people have come into your church and they're acting out uh, this, this faith, saying it doesn't matter what you do. And Jude's saying it absolutely does. Woe to them. Verse 12, these people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Now, often the, the early church would, would have a, a bring and share lunch and share communion at the same time. It would be a lunch and the Lord's Supper combined. And these people are coming in to the fellowship of God's people who are, who are breaking bread with the people. And at the same time, doing what they like, living against the faith. He keeps, Jude keeps layering on the illustrations. He says, look, uh, they're shepherds who feed themselves from Ezekiel 34. They're not feeding the flock. They're not caring. They're about themselves. Uh, he says they are uh, clouds so devoid of substance. They're just blown here and there. Proverbs 25. Just blown everywhere. Uh, they are trees with no root, 
and no fruit. Uh, they're not going to grow because they've got no fruit roots. They're not going to produce anything because they've got no fruit. They've got no hope. They're twice dead. Uh, they're wild waves, Isaiah 57, that are out of control, who are just foaming up. They are falling stars who will face God's judgment. God does care. Jude is layering upon layer upon layer about why the, what the inside of these people are really like. But it's not new. It's not new. He says in verses 14 to 16, uh, Enoch prophesies about it. So again, this is uh, from the book of one Enoch, which is the, the visions of Enoch, uh, the man who was taken by the Lord. And he said, Enoch prophesied about it. He said this would happen. And it did. But it's not just the the prophets of old who prophesied it. Uh, Also the prophets of, or the the apostles of today, of the uh, the apostles also. That's verses 17 to 19. Uh, They said that in the last times, there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. And if we search through their letters, we can see that time and time and time again. Warnings uh, from the old and warnings uh, from the later. So what, is it, what does all this mean then? Uh, what do we do with this book? Uh, what do we do about contending for the faith? Uh, There's lots that we can say. Uh, This week, we've seen a reason why we contend for the faith. Next week, uh, we're going to see Jude unpack a bit about what it means to contend for the faith and give us another reason. But what does it mean? Well, uh, just as Jude here is talking about uh, those who, who come into the church, let's just spend a few moments thinking, well, then what does it mean for us to contend as a church? And we'll do that sort of in ever-increasing circles. So firstly, uh, as an individual, contend for the faith as a Christian, as an individual Christian in this church. Because, as the Bible tells us, there will be those who will come into the church who will want to draw us aside. It may be even people that come up and speak at the front. We hope not. So contend as an individual. Uh, Whenever anybody gets up here, whatever anybody says in a thing, don't take their word for it. Don't take my word for what I'm saying. Look for yourself in the scriptures. Check. Consider. Ask questions. Uh, don't assume that, that something you hear doesn't sound quite right is wrong. But ask a question. I don't understand this. Can you help me? Ask questions. Uh, contend for the faith. Uh, nobody up here speaks on their own authority. So check, listen, check, examine, contend for the faith. But also contend for the faith by uh, being an example. 
the wonderful thing about being a church family is that we're a family, that we, we need each other, we have each other. And so when I see you trying to contend for the faith, it helps me to contend for the faith. When I see you uh, agonizing, saying, I just really, really want to do what is right by the Lord, uh, and trying your utmost to do that, then I think, actually, I can do that as well. Like, yes, that, they've really, like, that example is really helpful. It's really helpful. When I see you trying to follow Christ, it helps me. So contend for the faith as an individual because it will help us all. Uh, but also contend for the faith uh, as a church, uh, as a body corporate. Uh, Bishop Harrington has been a church for the best part of 90 years. Uh, and as far as I know, throughout that 90-year period, it's been a church that has, has held on to and contended for the gospel. Uh, that is something we can thank God for. We can look back and say, thank you, God, for the faithfulness of those 90 years. But it is also something that we cannot assume. We cannot assume, therefore, we'll be fine for the next 90. Uh, No, uh, contending for the gospel cannot be assumed. It has to be something we do every day, today. So we need to pray for those who lead the church. Keep praying for Nick when he comes. To contend for the gospel. To pray for the PCC as the church council, to contending for the gospel, to to keep the gospel, God's truth, central. It might mean, actually, therefore, we need people to stand on the PCC, to take the responsibility to say, I am going to contend for the gospel by being part of the PCC. That's a huge, a huge task that we would love people to be doing, to saying, I'm going to take responsibility to contend for the gospel. Uh, to be uh, praying for our wardens, for Jeff and for Don. Uh, and in fact, Jeff has been a warden for, for many years, faithfully contending for the gospel, is going to be coming to an end uh, at Easter time next year. We need another warden. Uh, and the warden's primary job is to keep contending for the gospel. Of course, there are other things that you know, they do and have to do. But the primary task is with the vicar to contend for the gospel. Is that you? That we'd love somebody to contend for the gospel. And of course, this is not saying that we haven't been doing that in the past. We have been, which is why we've been a, a church faithfully doing that. But we can't take it for granted. Keep contending for the gospel. And then lastly, the, the biggest fear, the Church of England. We need to contend for the gospel in the broader sense of the Church of England. The Church of England's been in existence for about 500 years. The the words we say in communion are often the words that have been said literally for centuries, for contending for the faith. But we can't assume it will keep doing that. We've got to keep contending for the gospel. We've got to stand firm on its truths, holding fast to them. I'm sure many of us are aware at the moment of the, the bigger picture of the Church of England uh, with the, the living and love and faith issues, particularly around human sexuality, around the things Jude was talking about. We need to contend for the gospel in those arenas. We need to pray for the church, to pray for the bishops, for those in the synods, to, to hold fast, to contend for the truth and the application. 
We need people to stand for synods. If we simply say we're too busy doing other things, doing gospel work uh, to stand for synod, then we've just missed out the point. This is gospel work. Contending for the gospel is gospel work. Uh, we need people to stand in, in deanery synod, in diocesan synod, in general synod. Again, is that you? When we come round to our APCM sort of next Easter, to, to stand for these deanery synod meetings. Yes, sometimes there are issues of finance and things to talk about. But there are also issues of contending for the gospel. We have to do that. If we leave it and say, we'll just leave it to other churches to do, then we will lose the church. We must contend for the gospel. Jude is saying, contend for the gospel. People are coming in who are saying, do what you like. Whereas we say that there is a truth to the gospel and there is a truth to live it out. And we're going to contend. Verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Once for all. The faith that's been held on to for generation after generation. And now it's up to us to hold fast that faith, to continue to contend. We'll finish off Jude next week. We'll see a bit more about how he contend. But for now, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Jude, which contains a lot of dense material, some of which is hard to to get our heads around and to understand. But Father, we pray you may help us to hold fast to the gospel, to be a servant of Jesus Christ, and to contend for the faith that was once for all. Lord, help us to do that in our own way, individually as a church and as part of the Church of England. And may you be perhaps prompting us and just planting a seed about how may we might do that in the future. Amen.